0: Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Pell. All right,
1: I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 137 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for stopping by today. When you get a chance, do us a favor and check us out at consumerguide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you were looking for a new car or truck. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and a bunch of other fun stuff. And and this is key, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right, let's see who's online with us today. He is back from a six-week tour of the Arctic Circle. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide. Welcome back, Damon Bell.
2: I know it seems like I was probably gone that long, but, Tom,
1: I was only gone for a week. Uh, and it wasn't in the Arctic Circle. It was in Portland, Maine. The important thing, though, is is that you engage in some extreme sports. Ocean kayaking, walking on hot coals, eating at Arby's. <laughs>
2: and I'll, le- I'll leave you to decide which one of those was the most extreme. <laughs> No, actually, I only did one of those things, uh, and that was kayaking uh, in the ocean, yes. And in a true kayak, I've paddled kayaks before, but they were the kind, I guess they were tourist kayaks in that you were not actually inside the hull of the boat. Uh, this time, I had to slide my six-foot, six-inch frame and my very long legs inside the hull of the boat kayak and it had a it was a tandem kayak my son was at the front i was at the back oh. uh, steering and i'd never paddled a kayak that had a rudder before so it had pat uh foot pedals inside the hull to uh you know you push those pedals to steer the uh the, the rudder at the back of the boat and i had, I had no idea it was a little bit tricky because, yes, again, with super long legs, even though the tour guide adjusted the pedals as far forward as they would go, my feet would still occasionally slip off them. <laughs> and I did, Then I lost steering and had to futz around to, to, to get the, my feet back on the pedals. But nonetheless, uh, fun experience. You know what I learned? Uh, the best way to avoid capsizing, which I was successful in not capsizing, by the way. Um, not drinking. <laughs> that probably helps too, but you just have to keep your your torso kind of loose, sort of go with oh. the flow. If you if you you know stiffen up your spine and and tense your body up, then the waves are going to rock you even more, and you have a better chance of uh, tipping over. Which thankfully I... we did not do.
1: I don't know if I knew any of this. I used to canoe a lot as a Boy Scout, a lot of canoeing. And my family owned a canoe, but never a kayak. Now, did this kayak ever appear on the top of a Subaru?
2: I knew you were going to ask that. No, it did not. I did not I did not see, I don't believe, and you would think the Portland main area would be where you would see a lot of this. I don't believe I saw any kayaks on the top of Subarus. I did see a fair number of Subarus, however, and some fairly uh, weather-beaten older model Subarus. In fact, I saw f- several older kind of, Import luxury brand vehicles that clearly had been around the block a few times. Like I saw an an A4 all-road wagon with some dents and rust. Uh, It's always always a little eye-opening to me to see a luxury brand vehicle kind of in the latter stages of its life. Haven't, the inc- haven't been well used. Yes, exactly. And then then when you kind of think about the maintenance cost for a luxury brand vehicle versus your garden variety, you know, Chevy or Honda, Toyota, uh, hats off to those folks for keeping those vehicles on the road that long.
1: I don't know why, but it seems like used luxury vehicles seem to drift out of the Chicago area in their midlife. I don't I don't know why, but you don't see a lot of beat-up Lexuses.
2: And maybe they there. maybe they end up in Portland, Maine. Maybe that's where they
1: go. <laughs> that's the life cycle. Yeah, yeah. Once a luxury vehicle is trashed, they just ship it off to the northeast.
2: Yeah, they go to different parts of the country. <laughs> I wonder if there's a way you could track that. It'd be like migrat- migratory patterns of... of Interesting birds, or
1: something. <laughs> it seems like something a press release that IC Cars might release. Where yeah. trash, where trash luxury cars go? Oh, well, we'll keep our eye out for that.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, we should talk about uh, today's show. Yeah, uh, we've probably. got we've got our good friend Sam Fiorani on the show again today. Uh, Sam is the vice president of global vehicle forecasting for Auto Forecast Solutions. He's a total industry expert, and as such, he's a great person for us to talk to about how uh, a new or used car buyer, but probably mostly new car buyer, can navigate uh, this ongoing chip shortage and inventory supply chain crisis that we have, um, and strategies that... Uh, shoppers might want to employ to give them a better chance at uh, getting a new uh, vehicle or at least a yeah. new-to-them vehicle. Um, But before we bring on Sam, uh, Tom, you and I have we're having a number of conversations recently about Honda. And there's a lot of Honda news uh, coming out at the moment uh, in terms of new product that is launching right now and just around the corner. But uh, first, we should talk about uh, some impending corporate partnership that Honda has recently announced. They're going to be teaming with Sony.
1: Yeah, this is an unlikely partnership simply because it, it, is, the, it is the meeting, the business union of an old school, you know, brick and mortar car company with a technology company. Uh, but Sony's been teasing something like this for a couple of years now because they've been showing car concepts at CES for a couple of years.
2: Yeah, the Consumer Electronics Show, which in recent years has become much more of an auto industry trade show as well as Consumer
1: Electronics. Yeah, well, we know that because Chevy introduced the Silverado EV. (laughs) Yes. So a pickup truck made its debut at CES. Yeah.
2: And I'm still getting my head around exactly what the parameters of this Sony-Honda partnership are. entail and and it's it seems like Honda is teaming up with lots of companies because it wasn't long ago we were talking about uh, Honda's partnership with GM to produce EVs and I believe one of those already has a name it's going to be called the Honda Prologue. Yeah. I believe that's slated as a 2024 model. um, And there will be an Acura version of that vehicle as well. Uh, But now we're already talking about uh, Honda and Sony teaming up. And They say that they've officially signed a joint venture agreement. Uh, The new company is going to be called Sony Honda Mobility Inc. I would imagine that the eventual vehicle will have a little bit. uh, Is it going to be called Honey? Is it going to be called (laughs) Sonda? Probably come up with something better than that. Uh, But. I don't think the vehicle, the vehicles hasn't even vehicle hasn't even been branded yet. The company's only just barely been formed, and they're already talking about beginning EV sales, which they will be producing strictly EVs, EV sales and mobility service operations by 2025. So, boy, they got to get cracking right away if they're going to meet that very ambitious
1: schedule. Yeah, that's insanely ambitious, and and you wonder what. ultimately they're planning to do here. There isn't a brand name for this product yet, but word is it's not going to be Sony or Honda. So we're talking about a brand new brand, which is interesting. Um, I don't know what they're going to do for distribution. Obviously they have a Honda network in the U.S. they can work with, but it will probably just be select dealers. I can't believe they're going to go with an all-new distribution network and get this done by 2025. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. And we don't even know what the product is at this point. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild
2: shot in the dark and say uh, compact crossover SUV <laughs>
1: um, 99% Chance that you're correct, but the the cars that Sony's been showing were sedans. Interestingly,
2: oh, the one I saw was was more of an SUV looking thing. It was
1: was oh, it one the, sedan and one one crossover?
2: Okay. Yeah, there was a Sony Vision S O two EV uh, that rolls a, off the tongue. Yeah, that rolls off the tongue very nicely, and that looked to be very much following the format of an you know general basic. Footprint of a Volkswagen ID4, uh, Ionic Five, EV6, you know what have you?
1: So we keep talking about it. Or we keep hearing about how um, Apple wants to reshape what the inside of the car looks like, and to some extent, I think that might be what's happening here. Sony keeps talking about, or in the press releases at least, Sony. Uh, Sony chatter suggests that there's a Value added thing happening here And I have no idea what that means But I yeah. suspect that there's some sort of Sony Technology re-envisioning Of the driving experience and what the cabin Will look like
2: Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up Because I I have the automotive news Article that you shared with me That's from uh, a couple months back But it does give a good overview Of, of the parameters of this And I want to read you this paragraph from it Uh, Honda will contribute its expertise in body manufacturing and after-sales service, while Sony brings know-how in imaging, sensing, telecommunications, networking, and entertainment technologies. The new venture will plan, design, develop, and sell uh, sell EVs, but at least for now, it will not operate its own assembly plant. So, so given our conversations about this, Tom, what is jumping out to you as something missing in that paragraph? I'm thinking, go ahead. I was going to say a soul, but. (laughs) Well, the thing that I was thinking of specifically is Honda's contribution. Body manufacturing, okay. After sales service, okay. Yeah. What about what about uh, vehicle dynamics engineering expertise? What about uh, ride quality and handling balance and, and powertrain expertise? Which I guess EVs—that's a new territory for everybody. But to me, that's one of the key strong points of Honda: is that ability to craft. Everyday everyday driver vehicles that have a connected uh, athletic feel, even in their lower baseline trim levels. And as we've talked about before, and as you've lamented many times, that idea of a connected, uh, satisfying, engaging, real world driving experience, eh, way down on the priority list, like we need fancy stuff on the touchscreens instead.
1: Yeah, that is what's happening here, and I think that everything that you mentioned about Honda was dismissed sort of out of hand as body. (laughs) Like, yeah, right. That's thing. That's thing. Yeah. The darn thing we have to build to put all this crap into. Um, yeah, it's a very strange situation, and I don't know exactly what Honda gets out of this, except they think it's a shortcut uh, to EVs. But, of course, Honda has the EV partnership with General Motors, to the extent that that's a partnership. But it also sounds like maybe Sony's talking about autonomy, and Honda has a stake in General Motors Cruise, which is their autonomous organization as well. So... Mm-hmm. Is is Honda just hedging bets? Is it taking things into a different direction? And will this General Motors relationship ultimately be short-lived? Those are questions.
2: Yeah. It it, would be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Uh, Speaking of General Motors and Honda, the one uh, stat that I've seen mentioned in in multiple articles on this is that Honda has stated that it – Uh, has committed to becoming a pure electric manufacturer, thus phasing out internal combustion engines by 2040. Now, that's a... I, most of the GM uh, chatter that I've heard, they are aiming at 2030, at least for Buick and Cadillac. So yeah. in, in that respect, it seems that—and I think Toyota has a, a similarly more drawn-out timeline for that as well. Interesting to me that the, the leading Japanese manufacturers are setting a, uh, a longer timeline for themselves to phase out internal combustion
1: engines. Longer and possibly more realistic. Realistic, yes. I I would go along with that, too. I would think, too, that if you wanted to become an EV manufacturer, you either want to do it really quickly or maybe wait to see how this turns out. Because if you get there first, you can be one of the key suppliers when there isn't that many product. Uh, But if you just sort of waddle in in the middle, you may end up in a very confusing situation where you're servicing both markets and it gets confusing and expensive. Yeah.
2: The other, uh, and, and again, I, I I guess I still need to sort of get my head around exactly what Sony is bringing to the table. Uh, in one of the other articles I read, it, it said that Sony is said to be responsible for building the platform for the mobility service. And I, so, I guess I'm. I need more clarification on what they mean by mobility service. Are we talking cruise like things? Are we, you know, is is this whole model of you go to a dealership and and buy the car and you own it? Is that something that they're looking to phase out with
1: this new company as well? Or I don't know because that suggests long term plans that they haven't fully. Uh, addressed? Are they, are they talking about a mobility service like Cruise Origin, uh, which is the origin, of course, is the fully autonomous vehicle that is starting to operate in different markets for pay? They got a license for that, so that's some news. Um, but but I think Sony probably is bristling with tech we don't know about yet, that they need a partner to start to to make this stuff materialize and, and turn into money. Uh, and I guess Honda's that partner. Yeah. For for yeah, for now, at least, yeah, for now at least, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Hondo is partnering with g m for now, and we don't know where that's going, yeah.
2: But yes, in the, uh, it will be very interesting to keep tabs on that uh, and see how that develops. But as far as the nearer future is concerned, and actually the present is concerned for Honda, a lot of new stuff happening for 2023 in terms of Honda's uh, product that is just around the corner ready to arrive in dealerships. It, not surprisingly, it's pretty much all SUV-focused. In fact, I believe Honda's Tagline for the 2023 model year is the year of the SUV, um, and pretty interesting that the you know product new product cadence has has panned out this way. But we're basically looking at Honda's most important SUVs most of their suvs all being redesigned for 2023 so the first of those is the hrv subcompact suv which is uh there's there have already been the uh, first press preview test drives of that vehicle so that's going to be hitting dealerships uh, i would say probably within the next month uh the crv compact suv uh core product for Honda, that's going to an all new version of that's going to be unveiled uh, July 12th so that unveiling of that is just around the corner and then we should see a new version of the Pilot three row midsize SUV uh, being rolled out later this year, so heavy-duty new product
1: year uh, for Honda in the core of the new vehicle market, for sure. Yeah, a lot of money at stake there. Quick question for you. Mm-hmm. What is Honda's least compelling product, in your opinion?
2: Up until this point, I think I would probably have to say the HRV.
1: Yeah, that vehicle desperately needed a kick in the butt, and this is yeah. going to be it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good news there too. They're going to a bigger normally aspirated engine, so that should feel good around town. I'm looking at a picture of the interior. They chose not to go with the really weird uh, Honda shifter, which might be good at the entry level market. I don't know.
2: Oh, you mean the push button shifter?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that is. It's weird. You get used yeah. to it quick, but it's weird.
2: Yeah, I've read some of the uh, I know we're, we're rolling up on, on time here, but uh, yeah. really quick the interest The I've read some of the first uh, test drive reviews of the new HRV it moves from the the First-gen HRV was based on the Honda Fit, which is no longer sold in the U.S. That was Honda's subcompact hatchback. The yeah. new 2023 HRV moves to the Civic platform, That's so it, it's a, it's a big upgrade in size, uh, but it gets that base Civic engine, uh, which uh, you know, in reading the first drive reviews, I I have it seems like mm, kind of milk toast acceleration and. A grony character from the CVT transmission. Uh, so, and and the. The, earlier gener- the previous generation HRV was no great shakes in terms of powertrain, finesse, and, no, no. And, and acceleration either. So it seems like that hasn't been a big step up. But uh, the initial drive reports uh, seem to agree that, that the driving character of the new HRV is much more dialed in and engaging than the previous one. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting
1: behind the wheel of that one. Yeah, I needed to be roomier, but that's just me. I think it will be. Yep, yeah. I think it will be. Yep. That's cool. All right, so lots of Honda news there. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we talk to Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions and see if he can help anybody find a car. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
1: All right, we're back. This is the part of the show when I strongly suggest that you follow me on Twitter. I am car guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today knows seemingly everything happening in the auto industry and is one of the most quoted folks in the business media. He is the vice president for global vehicle forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions, and he is on the scene today. Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast, Sam Fiorani. Sam, how are you, sir?
0: I'm doing very well. How are you guys
1: today? We're good. As you noted earlier, we were chatty. We were chatty in the first segment, so we've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, good. But we, we wanted to talk to you first before we go anywhere. Tell us about Auto Forecast Solutions and what you guys do there.
0: Uh, Auto Forecast Solutions provides... A- Analytical services and uh, forecasting services to the auto industry. Anyone looking for sales or production data on the auto industry, we're the ones to talk to. We're, we're filled with uh, auto experts who just live and breathe this stuff.
1: Well, we appreciate what we do and we, we, what you do, and we appreciate you joining us as often as you do. Um, one of the things that's come up, and you know this very well from the, from the business side of things, is that it's very hard for a consumer to find cars. And one of the questions I shot over to you this week was, does it make sense for someone who is shopping for a car to lower their expectations and maybe shop in a different segment. And my question to you is, are there segments where there's more product available? Say I'm looking for a small all-wheel drive convertible under $30,000. Maybe I should be looking for something else.
0: Maybe you should be looking for something else, especially since, you know, they don't build cars <laughs> like that for us anymore. So we are I'm, I'm literally standing in one of the rarest spaces on earth. I'm standing on a Ford Lincoln Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealership. And I'm literally about a mile away from uh, the local Chevrolet Cadillac dealership, Cadillac Subaru dealership. And uh, so I can get you any car you want within a a mile of where I am standing right now, (laughs) any domestic brand. And uh, the the lots here are empty. They are just vacant of new products. There are a handful of used vehicles here. And I I think I literally counted four or five cars with uh, new Moronis in them. Hmm.
1: Unbelievable. So if you're looking for a car, are there alternatives uh, to, from one segment to another? This is what I know anecdotally, right? I know that compact crossovers are insanely hot. And if you want a Hyundai Tucson, you're just out of luck. I know that for a fact. But are there segments that things are a little bit easier in? Like, can you find Accords or Camrys or other sedans?
0: You can't find much of anything. And the, because of the, the supply of parts that the deal that factories are getting right now, getting anything built is the problem. So the manufacturers are focusing on the high profit vehicles. So you will find a few trucks, you will find a few large uh, sport utilities. But if you want anything in the affordable range, which nowadays is anything under $40,000, then you're going to have a tough time and you're going to have to look possibly used and even those prices are sky high so sam every time we
1: talk it seems like we're we're under some hopeful some hopeful impression that maybe things are getting better but it doesn't seem to happen are, are we now at this point seeing things get a little bit better or do we not know where we're at
0: the, the problem still continues uh, general motors claims they're selling every truck they can build and uh, I, just coming from a Chevrolet dealership, they don't have any Silverados on the lot, so I can't tell you that wow. that's the case. Hmm. Uh, the Ford dealership here has nothing new. Uh, the Chrysler dealership has a handful of Ram trucks. So they're putting all their chips, all their parts, everything they have into the high, high-priced vehicles. Uh, the problem in Ukraine, the problem with COVID in China, is all hampering production in Europe, in Japan, in everywhere around the world. So we're seeing, we're seeing a continuous problem here that, that doesn't have an answer yet, and we're hoping to have an answer next year, and in the worst case, the year after.
1: Mm-hmm. This is anecdotal, obviously, but on my commute, I passed two very large Toyota dealers, and I guess most Toyota dealers are large, and they seem to be 100% bereft of product. There is no no vehicle on the lot at these Toyota dealers that has a Moroni that I can find. It, is Toyota's situation especially bad?
0: Toyota has a problem, especially the Japanese-built Toyotas, which there are too many in the United States. But the Japanese-built Toyotas get parts from China, and with COVID, they're not getting the parts they need coming out of out of China. So it's it's a problem everywhere that the factories in North America are trying to build products, but you know they're, they're getting the parts they can to keep going. Uh, the numbers have been soft for for a long time, and they keep coming up with more downtime at a, Hey, you. Yeah, you listening.
2: Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast.
1: So, Sam, I think that I'm as guilty of this as anyone, but when we talk about the chip shortage, we're talking about these chips as if they're all the same, they do any function, and and they can just be plugged and played. But, in fact, they are different chips performing different functions coming from different places, and and that adds sort of an additional logistical um, um, complication to this whole situation, does it not?
0: It does. It, uh, automotive chips are different than the chips you'll find in your cell phone or in your video game system or everywhere else, most everywhere else because automotive chips are more robust and older design. So finding a place to build them, uh, especially when they don't make as much money as chips for your cell phone, yeah. uh, it's, it's a tough thing. And we're still looking for, for places to make these chips to put into cars one of the stories
1: that the public and i think the the non-automotive media likes to report is that there are tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of vehicles that have been built without chips and those chips are going to be added after the fact meanwhile they're parked is that in fact the case are there a lot of
0: sort of built vehicles waiting for chips We've heard stories all over North America where there are parking vehicles that are not complete. And so the chips that they need for uh, devices that are non-essential for uh, heated seats, for uh, uh, variable displacement engines, stuff like that, these vehicles are many times parked and sometimes even sold to the public with uh, the potential of putting the chips back in later.
1: Uh, so the, it's weird to think about all this inventory just waiting around someplace. So if there is, in fact, a sudden flood of chips, we will see a flood of vehicles on showroom floors, no?
0: Yes, the dealerships are just waiting for them, but uh, the manufacturers are counting them as finished once they come off the assembly line, even if they aren't fully complete
1: interesting and in terms of sales right now i've heard some predictions that next month's sales or this month's sales are going to be up does that seem likely or probable to you
0: it, it, they may be up slightly, but uh, they're up from a lower point. So it, it's it's all relative to where we're starting from. But this year has not been good for sales. Uh, every month has been down, and uh, we're just trying to get enough product onto dealership lots to, to sell because apparently there are people waiting for them, and, uh, and the rising interest rates doesn't affect automotive that much because it, factories will give you uh, their own interest rates. So you'll see... Two and one percent interest rates on vehicles they want to get rid of when they have them to get rid of.
2: Uh, Sam, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit. I've, I've read a couple advice articles for shoppers uh, in helping them to navigate the new vehicle situation we, we find ourselves in. And a couple pieces of advice I'd seen given in multiple places is that a shopper should cast a wider net, uh, maybe visit dealerships farther away from their home, their location, uh, and then, yes, be much more flexible in terms of options color even vehicle type and brand uh do you think that's good advice do you see uh is it are there any pockets of maybe brands that aren't as beset by the chip shortages as others that may be able to you know a shopper might be able to have better success picking up one of those vehicles
0: I haven't heard of too many brands that are flush with vehicles. (laughs) And so if you're looking for a vehicle, go as far as you can. I've heard people going as far as 500 miles to get a car. So if if you can find a vehicle that matches anywhere near what you are looking for, go get it. Uh, You're not going to find deals. You're not going to find dealers negotiating too much. If you can hold off on buying a car, do so, because... Mm. It, like I said, it's a seller's market at the moment. If they have a vehicle to sell, they're going to sell it, and they're going to sell it at list and sometimes even above.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the, the, the those same articles also that I that I read also recommended uh, the possibility of that. The, a shopper should consider ordering their vehicle direct. Uh, what's your take on that? I saw, you know, obviously you're going to wait a good chunk of time. I saw an, an estimate of six to eight weeks. I would imagine it's much longer than that now. In fact, you know, some of those Ford Bronco and Maverick reservation holders, I think they've been waiting longer than a year, some of them. Uh, what's your take on on whether or not a shopper should consider special ordering their vehicle
0: if you're going to need a vehicle in the next few months look into looking to ordering them because you can get something closer to what you want and chances are you could get it near list price as opposed to buying it off the lot where they're tacking on thousands of dollars in some cases uh if you're buying something hot like a bronco or a maverick you may want to wait even longer because mm-hmm. they're, they're in demand. They're, they're not going to discount them. And, and like you said, you're going to have to wait extra long for them. I know people waiting not, not six months, more than a year for a Bronco. So getting in line for that now is going to take you a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Is the same? Is the situation at Tesla as tense as it sounds? I recently saw that virtually every Tesla product now has a waiting list uh, that you have to get on for the product. Is everything at Tesla now basically uh, order now and wait many months?
0: Tesla's has always been a unique situation because there are very few places where you can buy and drive that day for a Tesla. So they have always been uh, at order as you go. It's, uh, so getting in line, and the new plant is going to alleviate any issues in the next six months or a year. Uh, they're going to be building more model-wise, so it's going to ease the plant in California when they have the Texas plant fully up and running. Uh, it, getting, getting Teslas will be easier. Uh, the, the problem still comes down to uh, uh, whether or not they're on a recall. Do you think, Sam, that dealers have
1: the discipline, that manufacturers have the discipline to have learned a little bit from this and to keep supply relatively low moving forward? I mean, we all remember those days when there'd be a million extra cars in the supply chain as the model year was changing, and there were massive rebates on everything. And you could go and pick and choose whatever car you wanted from any maker on any lot uh, and still get a good deal on that. Are those days gone for good, or do you think makers will slowly creep back to that?
0: It, it's a capitalistic business. And so right now they're all flush with cash. They're all enjoying the, the idea that they can get, they don't have to negotiate. They don't have to put incentives on vehicles, but over the next couple of years, they're gonna work their way back up. The inventories will grow. The competition will grow. The incentives will grow. And it, it'll take a while to get back to that, but we're gonna have to get the supply chain working again. It, it will come back, but it's going to be a while. And, and the industry itself, doesn't typically learn very well from its own lessons so we will see we will see dealerships loaded again and you know, 60 day 70 day 80 90 day supply of vehicles eventually come back
1: and speaking of people not learning from from less, you know, from learning lessons from past situations, um, and, and the weird relationship between dealerships and manufacturers, what do you make of the situation where most manufacturers now are talking about they selling electric vehicles on a factory-to-consumer basis? Uh, what does that mean for the dealer network? Will they be able to get around franchise law? And and are we seeing the end of the test drive as we used to know it?
0: Uh- Learning from uh, learning how to sell electric vehicles is a new thing for the manufacturers, but dealers are not going to be happy if they are are cut completely from the the process. Dealers will still be delivering vehicles. will still be uh, the place where you negotiate your deal. It'll still come through the dealership. You will pick a dealer to to purchase an electric vehicle. If this is a uh, previously standing brand. Uh, it comes different for things like Tesla, for companies like Rivian, uh, it's questionable on companies like Polestar that these companies could bypass dealerships altogether. Uh, it, but if you have a Chevrolet, if you have a Ford, they're not going to be able to cut the dealership out of the, the buying process in most states because the laws are just so, so tight that keep dealerships in the loop and make sure that they, they get a piece of this, this process. Uh, but uh, Volkswagen is looking at Scout now, and that uh-huh. is, is going to be a good test because it's it's Volkswagen, but they're going to start it as a new company. So we're going to we're going to have to see how well uh, Volkswagen can fight that in court.
1: Yeah, and I think we will see some court action there too. Um, talking about test driving and the buying experience too, it, it seems increasingly and, and COVID started this mess, but now it seems. Like, people are more and more content, shoppers are more and more content to simply order a vehicle based on very little inventory, very based on very little test driving experience. To some extent, it seems as if the dealership experience is, is diminishing. It, it, the dealership role in the process is shrinking. But you're saying that, that dealers aren't going to go away for
0: d- traditional domestic um, sellers there's going to have to be uh, laws changed before that happens because they in a lot of the states the dealers have a really good lobbying effort and they want to stay in the loop and make sure they are part of this whole process so getting rid of dealerships in most states is going to be really really tough the whole problem with avoiding dealerships now has been partly partially covid that they don't want to talk to anybody, they don't want to see a human being, and partially the fact that there's no product, so they just will buy it sight unseen. This is all part of the process that is unique to right now. But long-term, you're you're gonna see dealers fighting to get those people back in stores.
1: Well, it's a crazy time, Sam, and we appreciate you keeping an eye on it for us. Sam, you also sit on the board of the Boyertown uh, Museum of Historic Vehicles, and you guys have a big event coming up. Remind us about that.
0: July 17th, we're having our current event, E-V-E-N-T, uh, all on electric vehicles and uh, showing part of the collection we have of electric vehicles at the museum. And showcasing this year will be our, our Volkswagen Rabbit that was actually built at the museum, the building that is the museum now. And uh, we have a Ford EcoStar from the 90s that uh, we'll be showcasing, as well as a few other vehicles that will show up. And if you're in the area and you have an electric vehicle, stop by because we'll have a cruise-in show as well
1: awesome that sounds very cool and remind us how people can keep track of what you guys are doing at auto forecast solutions
0: check us out on linkedin on facebook on twitter and and check our website at autoforecastsolutions.com. excellent sam thank you for joining us today
1: thanks for, thanks for having me it's always a pleasure all right that's sam fiorani with auto forecast solutions we're going to take a break and when we come back it's quiz time stick around
0: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
1: All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around today. Hey, Damon, you just started tweeting as Sunju Bot. What's that all about? Uh, that
2: boy. You know, you come at me with these fastball things, and I try to follow that improv uh, golden rule of yes and. But what am I going to do with that
1: Sunju bot? I have no idea what that is. Oh, uh, there's a lot of good bots in the, in the early days of Twitter. I remember there was Worf Bot from Star Trek and Shatner Bot. Those were fun uh, Twitter. They were just quotes. They were just fun quotes. I, I have to. I, I have to plead ignorance. What is Sunju? Oh, Sun Tzu was was a, a Chinese general way back, way way when that. Oh. Well, everyone who anyone who reads like business books reads Sun Tzu. It's like a thing.
2: Well, is that like the art? That's not the art of war, is it? Yeah, that's the guy. Oh, okay. But that boy, that actually would be a great concept because I would like to get Sun Tzu's take on the Kardashians or something. <laughs> Sun Tzu dicing it up with Elon Musk in those
1: you know Twitter battles. There is opportunity here. Yeah. yeah. We need to (laughs) copyright this stuff. Uh, Well, I'll start
2: start thinking about that stuff. But in the meantime, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DamonBellLikesCars, which, Tom, did you say you didn't like that handle? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. fine. I I think I listened to last week's show because I
1: wasn't here, and you seem to be talking trash about my handle a little bit. Well, no, I was just thinking you could move on and modernize and go with Damon is fond of mobility. <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Yeah. Point taken. That's actually probably what it's going to be before too long.
1: Yeah, that we'll rolls right roll. off its own. Yeah, the tongue. Yeah, I got to keep
2: up with the Sony's and Hondas of
1: the world here. All right. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is quiz time, and you're flying solo this week. <sighs> okay. Uh, I don't even remember what last week's quiz was about, but I think Jill got two or three. She, yeah, she got, the, she got the
2: victory. She got enough for, to, to be victorious by, right. our, by a relatively low
1: bar. Your topic's a little harder, I think, but you might be better at this topic than she would have been. And the topic is 1977. Hmm,
2: okay. Okay.
1: So I'm going to give you a model, a car model and you have to tell me if it existed for sale as a 1977. Are you ready? Ooh, ooh good one. Okay. All right, yes, I'm one, ready? The Chevrolet Chevette. Could you buy a Chevrolet Chevette as a 1977 model? Mm, I'm going
2: to I'm going to say
1: yes yes you could yeah 1976 to 1987 that car had a long run they sold like three million of those bad boys oh
2: and how many do you
1: think still exist oh seven
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I'm gonna I'm gonna be more uh hopeful than you and I'm gonna say they there might be double digits
1: there might be. I mean, first of all, they were mistreated horribly by their owners, almost universally, so they weren't destined oh. for for longevity. I and remember then, uh, they yeah. like to rust.
2: The yo yes. I remember a, a neighbor of, of mine, uh, his the family car, which was his ended up being his first car, was a stick shift Chevette scooter. Yeah, and that, that was actually. like yeah. That well, was it. That I suppose that I don't. i i I don't even remember whether it had a back seat or not i don't know that i ever actually rode in it uh but i remember the
1: scooter badge on the front fender was a sticker nothing like nothing like celebrating parsimony yes (laughs) all right number two uh damon could you buy a pontiac ventura in 1977. Did it switch to the
2: Phoenix by that time? Ooh, God, what a great question.
1: You're Uh, certainly asking
2: the right question. Yeah. It would have switched body styles in 75, and I can't remember if that's when it shifted to Phoenix. Um. Boy, I might be wrong, but I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna say yes. You still could. No, it did become. Ah, oh, crap. Or 4, 477 when it got a horrible egg crate grill. All right. Oh, so it shifted in '77. Yes. So that,
2: that it shifted over to that body style, still as the Ventura, but then became. All right. So that's, that's is correct. that when it got
1: the square headlights too? Oh, uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep oh all right ford maverick could you buy a ford maverick in 1977 yes yes you could yeah the last year was 78. or no no 77 was last year fairmont kicked in for 78 to replace it okay yeah you were two for three this one uh harder i think uh damon could you buy a toyota Cressida in 1977. That is a beloved vehicle by people who do it mm. straight six rear drive boy I'm, I'm much shakier on
2: my late 70s imports um 77 i am i'm gonna say no
1: you could 76 uh, through 92. drat All right. You need this one. You are two Mm. for four. You need this one. Uh, Could you buy a Plymouth Volare, Plymouth Volare in 1977?
2: I feel pretty confident that you could.
1: You could, yes. 76 through 80 for the Volare. You get uh, a secret special bonus point if you can name all three engines available in the Volare in 1977.
2: Three engines.
1: Three engines. Um
2: I'm going to guess there was a slant 6 yes a, a 318 and a 360 That's the three engine. (laughs)
1: The Chrysler Chrysler Corporation was so easy in the late eighties. Yeah, and you Uh, get a three speed manual or a three speed uh, automatic. That was it.
2: Speaking of those, speaking of those Velaris and Aspens, if you look up my Twitter account, Damon Bell likes cars. When I was in Portland, I saw a what looked to be a petty blue colored. Aspen or Volari. it was a it was an RT and now I can't remember which but it was a definitely
1: an eye-catching car something you know that's like a blue that that's like a blue you could sell now
2: yeah actually there's that there's a Toyota color that's not too far away from that um very, kind of a bright Smurf blue. I can't remember what Toyota calls their their color, though. But we've had a number of like it shows up on the Corolla hatchback fairly regularly, Tacoma, um, even a Forerunner a and Rav4. I've seen in that color. Do you know what the Do you know what the lore is about uh, the creation of Petty Blue? No. Uh, I believe the story goes that the Richard Petty's race car shop they had a few gallons of paint they didn't have enough blue to cover uh, one of the race cars they wanted to paint but they did have a lot of white so they just <laughs> they just poured their excess white to give themselves enough blue to uh, cover the car they needed to paint and hence petty blue was born
1: wow that's almost as if we needed filler on the podcast and we started telling a story about petty blue
0: it's a- <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, we don't need to feed time today, uh, fill time today. All right, uh, bonus question time. I hope you're ready. Yes. All right, Damon, according to the San Diego Zoo at SanDiegoZoo.org, there are three species of zebra. Which of the following is not a zebra species? Are you ready? Yes. Plains, mountain, grevies, that's G-R-E-V-Y apostrophe S, or lemon? Plains, mountain, grevys, or lemon. One is a fake zebra species.
2: Um, lemon. Boy, uh, I'm going to just I'm take a shot in the dark and say mountain because I don't I don't recall any Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom episode where I saw zebras in the terrain. So I think they're a plains type animal. So I'm going to say mountain.
1: I applaud your logic, but the lemon is the fake.
2: No. <laughs> See, man, yeah, you and your. You, you love to include those seemingly ridiculous uh, choices, but.
1: And in this case, it was indeed really, uh, ridiculous. Damon, uh, what's going on at the CG Daily uh, Drive blog this week?
2: Lots of good stuff this week. Uh, we've got a test drive gallery on the redesign for 2022 Lexus NX350. Uh, we had the luxury trim level. The NX, of course, is, is Lexus's compact SUV, and it under it received an ambitious, very uh, broad-ranging redesign for 2022. Uh, first. Lexus plug-in hybrid version, uh, big expansion in, in powertrains and, and versions. So, uh, and, and along with the uh, implementation of an all-new infotainment system uh, called Lexus Interface that is uh, much uh, more user-friendly than we found the previous uh, touchpad uh, Lexus Remote Touch Access. Uh, I'm sorry, Lexus Remote Touch Interface to be.
1: I've, I've always been on the sidelines of Lexus interface hate. Uh, but I know a lot of people really, really disliked a lot of what Lexus was doing in terms of digital interface for the inf- infotainment system, but it never bothered me that much. It always just seemed to involve a little bit of acclimation and then you're like, yeah, this is fine. And I didn't think about it too much, but a lot of people hated it and this is much better now.
2: Yeah. And, and that is something too, where it as journalists as we're driving vehicles for a short amount of time. Yeah, you have to factor in that when you've got more time to spend with the system, you sort of fall into how it works, and it's something that an owner that is driving it day in and day out might uh,
1: acclimate to quite well and even come to appreciate Yeah, and and you and I were just talking about this this week offline, and that's that the Volvo system, which is extremely, I want to say esoteric, but it's a really good-looking system in terms of presentation, you know, just four stacked horizontal bars uh, and a big screen. It looks like it's very easy, but in fact, trying to find some things is confusing. But I have spent a lot of time in Volvos over the last three weeks, and I have come to uh, accept and even... Like the Volvo system
2: Mm -hmm. Okay, and yeah, that's the new uh, Updated Google-based Volvo system, too One interesting, and the Volvos Have the uh, portrait-arranged Touchscreen, so it's Taller than it is wide Um, I I think I probably Prefer the the landscape layout But I guess when you've got a Portrait-style, there's less of a a reach To the right uh, when you need To access something, so Pluses and minuses Yep, yep. Um, what else have we got? We've also got a test drive gallery uh, review of the 2022 Genesis G80. Uh, that's the uh, middle of Genesis's, uh, Genesis's uh, sedan lineup. <laughs> uh, we categorize it as a large uh, premium brand car. We had the new for 22 3.5T Sport Prestige model. And you know, there's, there's some shortcomings with the Genesis sedans. I think the general consensus is they don't ride quite as polished as their established European brand rivals. But, wow, this car, incredible luxury vehicle presence. It feels, looks and feels like a truly upscale vehicle. And I'm totally on board with uh, Genesis's bolder design language as
1: well. Yeah, when, when Genesis first hit the U.S. market um, and that was the first market it hit um, the products looked really kind of plain and derivative and at any distance you'd be like is that sort of a Mercedes that someone sanded the features off of? Like, it, it just didn't have any character and they've gone so far they've come so far from them that every Genesis is distinct it looks great on the outside Just and the interiors are beautiful and they're just chasing other makers up market I don't know what you do to make an interior you're nicer than a Genesis And I don't care if you're BMW or if you're Bentley it, It's hard to trump that Yeah, it's very Very
2: classy vehicle Um, And then finally, uh, we have a full test drive on the redesigned for 2022 Subaru WRX. We talked about that uh, a few months back when it it launched, but we had one through the office. In very eye-catching solar orange pearl, uh, we had the midline premium trim level with the uh, standard six-speed manual transmission. So definitely uh, WRX is kind of last vehicle standing in that it offers. That rally inspired all wheel drive character. Uh, so cool that Subaru is continuing to uh, commit to that vehicle with an all new generation. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, guess what we did?
2: Uh, we're already up against it.
1: We are, yeah. We have burned through a full 53 minutes of Car Stuff podcast, but that doesn't mean we don't have more stuff for next week. I'd like to thank Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions for joining us this week. Thank you, Damon Bell. Thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AMA 20 in Chicago. As always, thanks to my radio mentors, Steve and Johnny. And remember to follow the Car Stuff Podcast. You can follow us on, on Facebook, and you can follow Consumer Guide Automotive on Facebook, which you should also do. If you have questions or comments, drop us a line at carstuff at That is carstuff at All right, let's talk more about cars again next week.